Hey, everybody. This is Richard Underwood with the UTM College Democrats podcast, and I'm the vice president of UTM College Democrats. And today I am joined by Patrick Reed here, uh, former UTM uh, student, graduate now, uh, Politico here in Nashville, and all around just political enthusiast. So I'm happy to be here. It's actually pretty, pretty fun. to be joining people from my former college. So I'm thankful for you to ask me. Also, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm a source of nostalgia for you. <laughs> uh, but okay, what me and Patrick have agreed to talk about, talk about, we've been Facebook friends for about, I would say a year now. Um, I, I believe the prime, the presidential democratic primary has really brought us together because stone elections just bring so many people together. And what I've wanted to do is have a discussion slash debate. He might change my mind. I might change his mind. That's why I call it a discussion slash debate. But we're going to have a, first we're going to talk about was Bernie Sanders the more electable candidate, which is a topic I lean slightly towards one side, but I'm very open towards changing my mind. Then after that, we're going to have a discussion on should progressives vote for Joe Biden in the general election, which is a issue that I'm a bit more outspoken on. But yeah, but just to just to let you set the stage, Patrick, do you believe Bernie Sanders was the most electable candidate in the primary? And by and by the way, this is going to be very casual. We're not going to be <laughs> we're not going to have like formal. Okay, here's a two minute statement for you, a two minute statement for you. We're just going to have a casual back. Yeah, so I'm gonna. And if you feel like I'm being unfair, just let me know, and I'll. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna preface everything that this. A lot of this is gonna be my opinion, so I'm not here to speak for any and all progressives. Um, I am also slightly biased, being that I did work in South Carolina for Senator Sanders uh, during the primary, so I feel like that's a good disclaimer that I had. I should put out there, <laughs> but. I think electability is a bit of an interesting argument that people can make um, really for any candidate. And I think that Trump, um, at this point, I really do think that really anybody who would have been the nominee or could have been the nominee could probably beat him because he, it just seems at this point, like he's not even trying to get elected. So honestly, I don't know if that's like an actual important like topic to like, for people to even consider, but it was something that was consistently lobbed at the senator um, all through the primary. Maybe, obviously, being a supporter of him, I do believe that he was, I mean, probably one of the most electable out of there. Obviously, Joe Biden meets a lot of boxes on his moderate center side, but Sanders, I think, met most of the boxes on the left side. So I think you can hear arguments. Um, from like both wings of the party on that. Uh, but specifically, I think that his policies on trade, healthcare, um, and the general economy are really solid points that could have won him those Rust Belt states that were lost in 2016 by Clinton and just the baggage that that name held from her husband, Bill, uh, you know, like signing NAFTA, doing all that like I think just that pulled her down like the the workers in the Rust Belt the voters in the Rust Belts couldn't really trust that she would deliver on jobs 
and hence Trump won those by very small margins. So I think that Sanders probably could have flipped those people that went from Obama to Trump based on just trading the economy alone. So uh, uh, for <laughs> as, of right, as of right now, can we kind of stick to the Rust Belt since you brought that up, which is a really good example because that really is the firewall that collapsed in 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, the counter argument I've heard from that is, you know, a lot of people say that Hillary lost because she wasn't progressive enough, while defenders of Joe Biden would say that Hillary Clinton lost because she's Hillary Clinton. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's one of the most lover or hater. Like, I mean, me personally, I actually do like her, but I will acknowledge she's one of the most. She, she was a horrible candidate considering how. The, the general public just had a distaste for her. And I think a lot of it did have to do with, you know, the fact that she's just not a charismatic person. She's very much that stereotypical Mitt Romney robotic like politician. And, oh. you know, I don't, I don't know if Biden really has that same, if we want to just use Biden as an example, considering he is the nominee, I don't think Biden really had that same problem. I feel like Biden I feel like Biden has enough enough charisma to like, you know, relate, well, not relate, but, you know, to persuade, you know, white collar work or white collar, blue collar working class people mm -hmm. to his side. And also on the issue of trade, I do think, um, I mean, I mean, it's no, there's no secret that people in the Rust Belt do have a lot of resentment for free trade, but I, I would also say that, you know, the, the Rust Belt, were really big fans of Obama. And Obama, according to my knowledge, Obama did not run as a protectionist per se. He's, he ran similar to Biden. Yes, I support free trade. However, I'm willing to make the investments in your communities to help those who are displaced by free trade. Mm -hmm. So I actually give you education, like for example, educational opportunities to you know, compete with the third world instead of doing the Republican plan which is free trade by itself is good. And if you lose, you lose, you know? So, right. so I would say the Obama Biden approach to free trade is more, or the Obama approach to free trade was more free trade with compensation as opposed to free trade and go fuck yourself. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, I do agree with that. Um, I, I personally don't think that Senator Sanders, you know, was super protectionist not at least not like Trump he was probably a bit more protectionist than like Clinton was but I I could see him in the same vein as Obama and I think that that is that's one reason why I believe that he probably could have retained those voters that flipped from Obama to Trump instead of just voting consistently Democrat with Clinton because um, mm -hmm. they they trusted him more on that and I think they felt that he could deliver more on that and I, I agree with you, like, she is kind of robotic, um, and Biden is slightly more charismatic. I, I wouldn't say he's the most charismatic person, but... No, not the most, but <laughs> definitely, definitely a five out of ten in terms of charisma. Yeah. I mean, he's a bit more relatable. Right, he's, he, he is a bit more relatable, so I, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, um, but I, on the note of electability, I do believe that the senator would have probably been able to retain those. And that, that is a fear that I have with Biden is that those former Obama voters flipped to Trump and, you know, 
Biden has to either focus on getting them back, which will probably be kind of difficult because he's coming from Obama's administration, or he just has to focus on turning out other people. And then you have a whole other argument of electability is, is he going to be able to turn out the progressives? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, but with the um, with go, going back to the Rust Belt a little bit more, um, I, I really don't think the narrative that you know the Rust Belt, and, I, and I'm not saying you were necessarily putting this narrative forward, but the idea of it, I really don't think that the Rust Belt is lost to the Democrats. I mean, I think the mid the 2018 midterms kind of debunks that. You know, I think it was really just slow turnout. You know, people just didn't turn out in the Rust Belt. It wasn't necessarily yeah. that Trump, the Rust Belt is, you know, all hell Trump now. And I, and I think Biden would have no problem getting those Obama, you know, former Obama voters back, considering that Biden is Obama 2.0. That's how Biden's running. Like, he is, remember, member Obama, member Obama. Um, yeah. To have, like, a South Park reference. But... I mean, um, he is, and that was, um, which we can get into that later, but that was one issue that I had, have still currently with him, but I can expand on that later. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 I know what's coming. I'm bracing myself. But, um, yeah, but in terms of electability, you also mentioned other, other candidates who you would, you would say would be in the top tier of electability. Um, which candidates would you say would would have also been electable. I mean, realistically, I would Warren. I mean, I think I think Warren could have been electable. Yes. Um, you think a I woman do. could be elected? I'm kidding. <laughs> and I was going to get to that point. Um, like <laughs> her comment about the senator making uh, a comment in their private meeting that a woman couldn't get elected president. I, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. I don't believe he said that. Sounds kind of uncharacteristic for him to even say something like that. I do believe him when he says that Trump would have done the same thing that he did to Hillary. He would have been overtly sexist toward her and just drug her through the mud and like cast her as like unstable and everything, just throwing everything and anything that can stick against the wall. Um, she probably could have actually handled that better than Clinton. I mean, she's more likable than Clinton. So she had that going for her. Um, somebody else that could have possibly won as much as like it pains me to say would possibly be um, like Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> oh, I know you, I know you were feeling the momentum back in the day. I remember no. your post. <laughs> no. I mean, I would also say like Judge probably could have, but you know, being like LGBT, I think that that would not necessarily cost him an election, but that would have been a very hard thing to come over. Um, I feel like the Republicans, especially the evangelicals, probably would have mobilized very easily and ardently against that alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, but absolutely. I saw, uh, going, going back to uh, Mayor Pete, um, I call him Mayor Pete. It's hard for me to say his last name with a straight face. Um, and I, th I think a lot of people had that problem. But with Mayor Pete, I, yeah, I agree with the – he would have mobilized the heck out of the evangelicals. Like, I were, mm -hmm. like living in Troy, Tennessee, I see a lot of prominent evangelicals around here posting things, like posting things about him, like 
if a gay man gets in the White House, then America will officially be lost and like all kinds yeah. of tinfoil hat nonsense. So yeah, yeah, yeah they would. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a taste of that in the primary. Just imagine if he was a the main candidate, right? But I mean, like as as I was also saying, like I, it just at this point seems like Trump is trying to do everything in his power not to get <laughs> reelected. So you know, it, he could have he could have easily won, regardless of the evangelicals making a big scene about that. I just like I don't. Uh, it just seems like Trump's not really trying at this point. Which yeah, I mean, the election is still months away, and that could easily change. Mm-hmm. Being in politics as much as I have, I've learned like. <laughs> don't take everything as a given like yeah. it, it can change i mean leading up to march 3rd i was very uh very um positive that i was going to be able to come back to tennessee from south carolina and vote for senator sanders and he would go on to be the nominee and that did not pan out the way i thought and that was just like oh yeah four days four days apart and a lot changed yeah, it's amazing. Uh, 538, I believe, right after Iowa, they gave Bernie like a 50-50 shot of being the nominee. Yep. Like It was like a something like a 50% chance he would be the nominee, even like a 30% chance there would be a contested convention. If in a 20% chance, it would be some other candidate. So it's yep. just amazing how quick the tides turned. You know, Bernie was like way up every day I checked. And then one day I saw he was like slightly down a little. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Then, you know, it was the first snowflake that caused avalanche. Then Biden, you know, it, Bloody Monday is, uh, TYT would call it, they called it Bloody Monday when the wave of endorsements came in for Biden right before Super Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much that actually, like, benefited him, realistically. Um, I think it was just a lot of voters were nostalgic for Obama, and that, that weighed a lot, like, in, in South Carolina. Um, I think on election night, January 29th, it was like, uh, it was like 50% of voters that came out and voted for Biden um, said that like the Clyburn, no, no, it was 50% of voters said that the Clyburn endorsement had like an effect on them. And of that 50%, it was like 80 something percent um, said that like it pushed them to vote for Biden. So I think like, Clyburn playing into that and then like just the Obama nostalgia and then like it was just over from there. But I don't think that that like dampens the case for Senator Sanders's electability because he was he was polling at times the best with African-Americans um, and Latinos. I mean, he was polling the best up until South Carolina and beyond still with Latino, the Latino community. And I think that that alone also would have played a role into him being elected as president. Regardless if you agree or disagree with Bernie's policies, uh, what do you think of the common criticism that he's too far left to get elected in a general election? I don't think he's left enough, but... (laughs) Um, Okay, comrade. (laughs) I I don't. I mean, like, he's just... It's pretty just common. Like, it's returned to, like, FDR roots, basically. Um, The party has drifted to the right, I feel like he's trying to pull it back. And that's one reason why I supported him and really liked him was because just learning about FDR, like, and then the New Deal and everything that he did when he was president, there were so many similarities. And I think at this point, like, it's what the country needed, especially now with, like, COVID coming around and making the case for a national healthcare system. 
where millions have lost their jobs, millions have lost their health care that was tied to their jobs. It, it's funny that like <laughs> that was one thing that Biden campaigned on was like you you can keep your health care with your job and then here we go. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> so and just all and like I feel like his economic message would have been very good and obviously the climate. So like I'm a climate voter. That's the one thing that I put next to education are my top two issues. I see. Um, but but um, one one comment, and I'm I'm surprised you. I don't think you've made this argument, but one common argument I've heard in favor of Bernie is, you know, his policies are overwhelmingly popular according to polls. Like for example, I believe it was like, I might be way off on this, but I believe it was like uh, 59 percent of Americans support Medicare for all. And that that is true. Like uh, when you ask voters, like, do you support X policy from Bernie, whether it be Medicare for all, free college, you name it, or a jobs guarantee or mm-hmm. stuff like that. It is true that you will have a majority <laughs> of support among those. Hold on a second. Notifications. Okay. Um, you will have a majority of support for those policies. But at the same time, don't you think, for example, I think Medicare for all is the best example. Don't you think even more people would support a public option? Because everyone who would support Medicare for all would also support a public option is the next best thing. And a public option would also win over people who, who, who believe Medicare for all is too far left. So wouldn't you say in terms of building a winning coalition, building a consensus that, you know, the more uh, center left approach would be best for the long haul? I mean, I don't really buy that argument. Like, I mean, I, I agree that probably a public option would get, you know, a plurality of voters, but I, it doesn't go far enough, like, for me. And if you, if, like, Senator Sanders or even Joe Biden were to deliver, like, the two houses of Congress, like, why not just go all the way and pass something like that to guarantee that everybody, no matter your situation, economic bracket, job, situation like has a guarantee of healthcare, not access, because access and a guarantee are different. Uh but but um not 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 uh but at the same time um like let, let, let's assume that Medicare for all is the right policy. I, I got mixed feelings on Medicare for all I've heard pros and cons about it. I think universal healthcare is the right to, the, the way to go. But I, I I've I've heard common criticisms that Medicare for all may not be the best vehicle, but besides whether or not it's the great, the best policy, do you agree that from a, you know, just a national standpoint, winning a national election, that running on a public option plus a generous expansion of Medicaid would be more practical in terms of actually implementing it from a, you know, just getting the votes from that standpoint? I mean, if that's your goal is to just get votes, then yeah, that's probably the right approach to it. But if your goal is to make sure that everybody has health care and that nobody's dying in debt. And when I say get the votes, <laughs> I mean implement. When I say get the, getting the votes entails actually implementing it. Like in you know Congress, I mean? like through Congress, yeah. pushing it through Congress. Well, 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 both through Congress, a combination of getting it through Congress and also getting, you know, getting politicians elected who would actually support it. So, so both elections and uh, House or congressional votes. 
I mean, possibly. Like, that really hasn't, I mean, it's sort of been done with Obama, but, like, uh, the ACA is, like, still costs an arm and a leg, like, leaves millions still uninsured. Our healthcare system is clearly not any better because of it. Um, well, well, at the same time, the ACA, and I think uh, I think the ACA had uh, one major gaping problem. That was the fact that, and, and I don't really see a way to, that could have, well, like the ACA, Obama wanted to get universal coverage from what I can tell. Like the, the, the behind the scenes statements are pretty vague, but I think it, mm-hmm. I, I think it strongly implied that's what he was going for. Then you had, uh, you know, called moderate Democrats, like, for example, Joe Lieberman, who, mm-hmm. you know, at least caucused with the Democrats. Um, you know, he, he flat out threatened to filibuster if they put a public option in. Plus, you had other representatives as well who were threatening to uh, not go along with it because they thought universal coverage would be, would be too far, far left. So if it was that hard, like what, if it was that hard to get that done, imagine how hard Medicare for all would be to pass i mean well like my argument with that is and i mean people can say like being naive and wishful thinking but if for example senator sanders or even joe biden which joe biden's not running on medicare for all even said that he would veto it if it even passed congress (laughs) but like just sticking with sanders if he delivered a majority on a platform that included Medicare for all and people were voted into office, like people aren't just voting for um, like their representative, they're voting for basically a down ballot platform, a party, and they like that message. And if he wins and wins by a considerable amount electorally popular vote and takes both houses by a decent margin or even just wins them by a slight margin with a majority, I mean, I think that they should just do what the people want. Like, if, if the people didn't want it, they wouldn't vote for him. Yeah, and but the thing is, they, they didn't vote for him, though. So that, that shows... Saying, they, if, well, if he was president, like, if he, if he was the nominee in that case, like, oh, yeah. same thing for Joe Biden. Like, if he was running on Medicare for All, which probably will never happen, and he won both houses, like, they, they should just do They should represent the will of their constituency. That's what they're there for. And if their constituency voted somebody into the White House on a platform of Medicare for all or universal health care or whatever, then they should go for it. And that same argument can be held for a public option. But yeah, but yeah, but a public option, would you agree that mo- more people would support a public, more voters would support a public option when compared to <laughs> Medicare for all? I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I mean, there was a poll. And I, I wish I had this source because I don't. I know it sounds kind of sketchy. Like, oh, well, this poll said without actually citing the poll. But um, ho- hopefully you can. Uh, we can look it up after this to know that I'm not selling snake oil. But there was a recent poll that well, not recent, but it was during the primary. And I know Young Turks and Kyle Kalinske and you know all of Bernie's cheerleaders on YouTube. We're like holding this poll up is see, this is why Bernie's more electable. The poll, it was about healthcare, and most Americans, according to this poll, supported Medicare for all. But what they didn't tell you was the poll itself, once you start answering more specific questions, it turns out people were mistaking Medicare for all for a public option. 
Like they were referring to, yeah, I think Medicare, I think a voluntary opt-in of Medicare should be, should, should be available. And that's what they were, that's what they were signing on to when they said we support Medicare for all. But so, so I don't know. I just find it interesting that once you ask, cause like, you know, abolishing private insurance, which is what Medicare would do, mm-hmm. at least non-supplemental private insurance um, is overwhelmingly unpopular. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like there are much better ways to get to universal coverage in a way that most voters mm-hmm. would detest. Whether or not abolishing private insurance is a good policy or not, I don't think it is a smart, I don't think that particular approach would be a good way to put our capital, mm-hmm. our political capital into, if that, make, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm like on the fence about that, like, I'm sort of like, just let people do what they want, but I feel like everybody should be insured, no matter what, but like, <laughs> private insurance isn't great and people like they think it's great and everything and it's great if you have a good job and if you're getting really good benefits but the majority of people don't have that and then they think it's all great until they go to actually use it and it's not good in the end and or like oh, I agree, a I pandemic agree. happens <laughs> and you I, lose I, it <laughs> I, I, I agree that private insurance sucks but that i'm, I'm not i'm not de- trying to debate the pro- the merits of private insurance i'm trying to discuss is abolishing private insurance politically a smart way to achieve universal coverage considering you could achieve universal coverage without abolishing private insurance which is which would be a much more politically feasible approach Mm -hmm. but would it lower the cost at that point like if you if you still had private insurance a public option yeah yeah a a non-profit public option would I would bet my left foot that that would lower costs to some extent. I mean, I mean, I mean why else are private? <laughs> why, why else are private companies? So, why else are private insurance companies so afraid of a public option? Why else do they, you know, act like it's a meteor coming to hit us? You know, all these lobby, lobbying organizations. You know, they, they view a public option as the devil. I mean, they're more scared of Medicare for all, obviously, because Medicare for all would just abolish their mm-hmm. existence. But a public option would still, you know, force them to lower their price because we would ha- we would have actual competition, which we currently don't have in health insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I also like not that like people that think like that are not compassionate, but like when I think of like health care, I I don't think it should be for profit. Um, that puts like different kind of motives behind everything, doctors and hospitals. Um, like, I just think like you should be compassionate to people who don't have a lot. And I think that that's the best system to do that. And I just don't think that there should be any kind of profit motive behind like healthcare. Like you take a Hippocratic oath to help people like you that also like, includes not like charging an arm and a leg for people or for surgery and everything. And like people are, just are, you go talking about pro- yeah. are you talking about profits specifically for health insurance or the entire industry? Like, like for I'm, example, you cannot profit if you create a cure for cancer, for example. 
I mean, anything, like definitely you shouldn't be charging for a cure for cancer, but, and like looking today with the, um, the COVID that potential COVID vaccine, like they're already like talking about charging outrageous amounts of money for that. And it's like taking taxpayer money to like fund it and fund the research and everything. And then these companies are just wanting to charge it up. Same thing for like insulin and EpiPens and stuff like, I, 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 just, I, know I don't I, think that should be there. <laughs> I know we're kind of going off topic. But I kind of find this, uh, I kind of find this uh, diversion kind of interesting because uh, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about healthcare recently as well. And I know it's unfortunate the, and this is kind of a debate about the pros and cons of capitalism. Um, this is kind of devolving, yeah. <laughs> devolving into, but I, I know it, I know it, I definitely understand the sentiment that, you know, healthcare shouldn't be for profit because, you know, it's human welfare. Like you're, you're, you're making more money so you can buy a fancy ass jacuzzi and paint your airplane in gold because mm-hmm. humans need, need healthcare and that and you're charging them for it. But don't, wouldn't you say the profit motive, maybe not with health insurance, because after all, I think a public option would do a lot of good, but just like healthcare in general, like research and development, I think it's a good example. Don't you think the profit motive is a necessary evil to some extent? Because does it, what, doesn't that motivate, hey, I can make a shit ton of money if I cure X disease, because a lot of people are suffering from that disease, so I could exploit that. Doesn't, don't you think that actually, out of a pursuit for selfishness, don't you think that actually indirectly makes others better off? Because um. who would make it, who, who would make the, <laughs> who, who, who would, who would uh, try to innovate if they don't profit off of it, you know what I mean? Um, nice people. <laughs> Good I, w- I wish that was the case, but it sounds like a utopian vision. I know, and that's why I said earlier, like, people might say I sound naive for saying that, but, like, I, I can understand where yeah, you're I coming from. I hope we get to that point. I just don't I, don't, I don't see it as a short-term goal, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, there have been people that have created cures and did not seek profit, like, throughout the centuries. Madame Curie, I think, is one of them, if I'm thinking correctly. Like, I don't think she sought a profit in whatever she cured. Um, like, that's happened. Like, people, again, this is just, like, you should just be a good person. <laughs> like, I personally, if I had the, te- like, the intellect and everything to develop a cure for something, I would probably want to go down in history as somebody who created this cure and, yeah, like, thanks. just... Yeah, and just, well, not even, like, a pursuit of fame, just, like, I mean, just people are, like, wow, like, that's a good person. Like, he didn't, like, charge arm and leg for it or was not trying to get rich and, like, become a celebrity because of it. Like, I wouldn't do that. Like, it's, I guess it's just with different people. And I think, like, just today's situation is making a bit more of a case for, like, that perspective at least that I have that people should be more compassionate because anything can happen and you know we didn't anticipate a pandemic six months ago that was gonna kick millions of people off their health care and then on that note I think that Senator Sanders probably could win president like could have won because of that because of this whole situation I think we missed a golden opportunity yeah, yeah I think it, I, I really do think it'd be interesting if he was the nominee um you know, I was, um, 
Bernie, um, with politics, I think this is um, a selfish thing about myself. It applies to everyone. I'm just brave enough to admit it. Um, for me, politics is very entertaining. Like, I think Bernie versus Trump would have been the most entertaining. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine those two having a conversation with one another? Oh, I'd love it. It would be great TV. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, you, you would hear Trump going on about rapists and murderers at the border. He's going to open our border. And Bernie would be, you're just promoting propaganda for the billionaire class. <laughs> just, I don't know, we're just such characters that just see them clash. But that was my ultimate political fanboy fan fiction. But unfortunately, we were probably never going we're never going to get that. Um. Yeah, no. but, I mean, in 2016, Bernie did offer to debate Trump in California, and he backed out of that. So, yeah, Trump said, "Oh, I don't got time for that." Yeah, because he knew. Awful. Be he knew yeah, he knew. Well, he knew he was going to get his rear handed to him. So, yeah, he's a. Uh, he, he's a. Uh, I'm trying to tone down the language because this has to be edited. I don't want the editing to be too rigorous, um, but um, he. He's a wimp. We'll just say that. Yeah. What I actually mean is a it's ten times worse than a wimp. Yeah. But okay, I think we kind of touched on a lot of ground with electability, and also we kind of dived into the how much, if any, profit should be involved in healthcare. Unexpectedly, we went in that area, which was fun in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry. Um. So, tell me. Okay, to be clear, you said you're not going to vote for Biden or you have no plans of voting for Biden. I don't. Okay. I mean, uh, unless he makes extreme concessions, which it, it's not seeming likely that he is, I don't really. Yeah, okay, <laughs> uh, could, you, could you summarize that position for me? Yeah, so, well, one, and it was basically, I didn't vote for Hillary in 2016 either. Um, I hate uh, hate's, hate's probably a strong word. I really dislike when people feel entitled to things and like they don't like work hard for it, especially politicians don't work hard for it. And I don't feel like that Biden is working for votes, especially the votes of progressives. I mean, he's hardly making any kind of appearances and I will give Trump credit. Like he is doing stupid interviews, but he's doing interviews like... <laughs> He's taking questions, answering them terribly. Obviously, like, that's to be expected, but, you know, at least he's doing that and not hiding in his basement, pre-recording videos and stuff. Um, he's not really making any concessions to the left, or if he is, it's very, like, baby steps toward it, and I just don't think it's good enough. Uh, but my, my biggest thing is he kind of, seems entitled to the votes um i don't ascribe to this whole like oh vote for me to get trump out type of argument like i just don't like i have issues that are important to me and if you don't check those boxes off it's the same thing if like i'm working with a candidate like i check boxes on people that i want to work with and if you don't meet those i'm not going to work with you and same thing i'm not going to vote for you so he's he's not trying his platform is not up to par at least on my standards um and he just seems like to have an overall disdain for like young people and millennials so i can elaborate on that <laughs> later if you want me to but oh yeah I, 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 mental note taken yeah. uh, that, that'll be a fun fact to hear about me and i think i know what you're referring to um there's like a viral moment early on 
But um, my, my rationale, I, um, I don't even know if I consider myself a progressive. I have some views that are pretty far left. Um, but, okay, this is how I view it. With Biden, you have a candidate who supports a carbon tax, who supports increasing subsidies for alternative forms of energy compared to a candidate who doesn't even believe in climate change. Mm-hmm. It's a Chinese hoax, according to him. You have a candidate who wants to raise teacher pay, who wants to close the gap between low-income schools and high-income schools, because there is a disparity. You have a candidate who, in the past, I don't know if this is part of his current platform, but I'm sure he would be sympathetic to free community college, because he was cheerleading Obama's initiative to get that accomplished. He supports free community college. He supports a massive expansion of Medicaid, which will not lead to universal coverage, but it will get us really close, very close. In fact, the people who wouldn't be covered under that would be, I I, I don't want to say they're well off, but they would definitely Mm -hmm. be very close to the middle class of the people who wouldn't be covered under his plan. But that's also if the state accepts it, right? Like Tennessee hasn't accepted the Medicaid expansion. Yeah, that that, that is the other one. Which gets us back to the Supreme Court, you know? because a big reason why Obamacare wasn't as stellar as it could have been was because of the Supreme Court. And I would much, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she's not going to last much longer. And I would much rather a Democrat be in office when that happens than a Republican. I can argue you know, with Supreme, that, too. <laughs> I mean, the Supreme, the Supreme Court, um, and I'm sure Biden would pick a Supreme Court nominee who's a quote-unquote centrist, but he definitely would not pick someone who would disagree with him on the issue of health care because health care mm-hmm. is such a big issue um what else he also supports a a infrastructure plan that's on par with what obama was advocating for um during his second term i believe it was i believe it was about when compared to what bernie was proposing on infrastructure i believe it was about uh three-tenths of what Bernie was suggesting, which sounds pitiful, but, I mean, Bernie was proposing a massive infrastructure package. That's needed. Um, (laughs) It was needed. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, and also just on immigration, you know, I guess DACA isn't that relevant anymore considering the Supreme Court has kind of closed the book on that. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, Trump is – we're not going to get a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented under Trump. Biden has been a long vocal proponent of that. And also one area where, and also I think it's important to address some of the common criticisms to Biden. You know, the crime bill, was it 1994, was it? Yeah. It's on my notes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, the 1994 crime bill, you know, it's easy to say that Biden was wrong for that vote, or it's easy to say that most politicians at the time were wrong for supporting it because it had very large bipartisan support, even amongst prominent black Mm -hmm. activists, by the way, because, you know, their, you know, crime rate is a big problem in the black community. It was way higher than it is now in the 1990s. Um, You know, you know, I think it's, you know, it's easy to um, hold that against Biden even though every other, every other major politician at the time supported the exact same thing. Um, but at the same time, looking at those crime figures at the time, I could imagine why a politician would, you know, sign on to something that drastic. Mm-hmm. And I find that the crime bill itself, 
the, I, this is my analysis of it. The crime bill itself, the major problem was it didn't give enough to rehabilitation. You know, we're going to lock, we're going to lock a bunch of people up, but we're barely going to do anything to actually correct the behavior. You know, we're not going to, we're, we're not going to invest in drug treatment. We're not going to invest in psychiatric therapy, which have been shown to reduce crime rates and also prison populations. So basically the crime bill, you know, fed into the vicious cycle of incarceration and recidivism. You know, we mm-hmm. put you in prison for a long time. We send you back out. You commit another crime. We're going to put you back again. Um, so, and Biden has proposed a, I believe it was a $20 billion um, prison re- rehab um, expansion, mm-hmm. which would really fill a lot of the holes that were created by the crime bill. So I believe Biden has adequately atoned for that though. And I'll also, and also. And I want to hear it though. I want to hear him say I was wrong. Like. Does he still defend it? I mean, he doesn't, if he doesn't defend it, he doesn't say he was wrong. Like Sanders, on the other hand, he voted for it. You know, he took a lot of heat for that too, but he admits like, yeah, it was bad. But the reason he voted for it was because he like, you know, you win some, you lose some, or you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, there was a, what, what is it, amendment or something included in that, the Violence Against Women Act. So, like, I believe there's also a uh, assault weapons ban in it, or was that a separate piece of legislation? That might, uh, that might have been a separate one. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It, uh, I, w- I, wish I, I wish I had a computer in my head. That'd be very interesting. But, like, Sanders says, like... I regret voting for it, but, you know, I would also be getting, like, hit for voting against, like, women. Like, uh, it's, you know, that's politics. It's politics. But, like, at least he can admit, like, that bill was awful. But, but considering how high, <laughs> considering how high, how sky high the crime rate was at the time, and also considering the fact that most prominent black activists supported that bill, and considering that most of the general public supported that bill, don't you think Biden? Don't you think it's understandable that Biden would have supported it? I mean, because in retrospect, with our with, with, as low as our crime rate is now, in retrospect, it's very easy to uh, look back at that bill and talk about how awful it was. But it's another thing to actually, you know, be staring at those statistics the politicians were staring at at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I think it's. I don't know. I think it's one of those cases where it's actually it's a lot easier to critique the action when we weren't the ones actually dealing with the situation. If that makes any sense. Right. Right. He could still say it was bad and he regrets voting for it, but <laughs> Yep. Yeah, but but at the same time I don't think him you know, that would be symbolic. If he, he says that bill was bad, that would be mere symbolism. Yeah. But on a policy that's, angle, that's a step to you know, this whole thing is about should progressives vote for him. Like, that's a step toward earning my vote. But wouldn't it be enough to atone for the that vote by actually addressing the root causes of crime and recidivism, such as reducing poverty and increasing rehabilitation, which Biden Biden's platform would clearly do? I mean, yeah, but that doesn't also erase the last, what, 24 years, no, 26 years? <laughs> of the damage that that did, that Bill did, and that he was just like unapologetically for until like, you know, he started getting in the spotlight and then 
now he's coming but, out with stuff to atone for it. Yeah, but but the, the policies he's advocating would correct the problems that were caused from that bill. I feel like holding that bill, using that bill as an excuse not to vote for him, I feel like that's more of I feel like the motivation for that's more to do with retribution as opposed to actually correcting the damage done by the bill. I mean, I can't be, I don't even know the word for that. It's not retribution for me because I was not, I've never been affected by that bill. So I can't speak for people or families that have been, but that it's just acknowledging the bad that that did and the wrong, like, Sanders, Sanders knew it was bad. Like he voted for it and he still says like, yes, like that was bad, but I voted for it. Like that is a step. And regardless so of how it's viewed, like as retribution or just anything like that, like, I mean, that's a step, like, come on, just acknowledge it. <laughs> so, so if Biden came out and said that I regret voting for the bill, then that would check one of the boxes to win his vote because he might have actually said it i'm not i'm not really sure i can do a quick google search one of the many boxes <laughs> there's a lot of boxes he's got to check can you still see me yeah he's got to yeah. check a lot of boxes not just that we'll, one we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to those boxes 1994 crime bill Okay, the first thing that popped up is Biden's defense of the 1994 crime bill. So, so much for checking off that box. <laughs> Although I don't think it's a box that should exist, but. Well, you know, voters are all different. Yeah. Oh. It's going to be hard to please every voter, but, you know, if half the party has standards, you should at least attempt to meet them. <laughs> but, the thing, but the thing is, reducing poverty and increasing rehabilitation, those would solve the problems created by the crime bill. And the policies Biden is advocating that would increase rehab and would, would uh, reduce poverty, such as the transfer payments he's promoting and the expansion of education he's promoting, that, that would settle the problems caused from the crime bill. So what I don't get is why wouldn't you vote for him when he's promoting policies to undo that damage? Even if he defends the bill itself, he, he is still, if, if elected, if he got everything he is proposing, those problems the bill created would be a non-issue at that point. Yeah, but it also does not erase the last 26 years, and it just comes off as insincere. And I highly doubt that, like, he's going to pass everything that he's proposing. Well, you also, know, the, well, if it's his platform or the party platform, the party platform is, like, also kind of non-binding. Well, well He's been a long advocate of raising taxes on the wealthy. And if you're an advocate of raising taxes on the wealthy, I assume that you would want a lot of that money to go towards poverty reduction and prison rehabilitation. So I, th I think regardless if Biden was running in 2016, 2020, regardless of the time period, Biden would still support this current platform. <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't think Biden's being, I don't think he's being insincere. insincere. Because it is consistent with his previous record. Mm -hmm. 
I would also like to hear him say um, he wants to abolish the private prison industry. Like, that's also a step. Has he refused to get on with that? I haven't heard it if he has. I also have kind of tuned out electoral politics for the last few months, so that might be my fault. If he has said it, then that's a good step. But Bob, well, I'm, co- I'm constantly tempted to tune out, too, so I don't blame me. Um, it, it, I, have a, I have a masochistic relationship with politics at times, but uh, okay, so okay, moving on from the uh, crime bill. Uh, to do with Biden's record, is there anything else about his record you would hold against him? <laughs> um, I, and I'm, I'm quite positive he's uh, spoken about DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996. I'm pretty sure that he's said that he, uh, I don't know if it's word for word regrets voting for it, but he has definitely come out as a proponent for LGBTQ community. Um, Let me adjust the setting real quick. My phone's... There's like... I'm I'm afraid my phone might die. (laughs) There's a lot of judgment like that I factor into. Like, it's great that you've come around to like the LGBTQ community. Um but why couldn't you have been for it back then when <clears throat> you were casting a vote for I the Defense of Marriage Act? If, if we resurrected FDR from the dead, would you vote for him? <laughs> um, that is a good question. You heard about zombie Reagan. Well, we, this would be zombie FDR. Would you vote for him? If he did not have Japanese internment camps, then possibly. <laughs> but, but the thing... The thing is, Biden voted for DOMA, and, I, and I'm sure he no longer believes that. I believe that was a product of the times because there's been a massive shift in terms of support for LGBT mm-hmm. rights within the past few decades. And uh, I believe Biden was one of the many Americans who came around on that issue. At the same time, I, I have a feeling you would be all for supporting, considering you're a Bernie guy, I, I have a feeling you would be all for supporting, you know, Bernie or Teddy or Bernie, uh, FDR or Teddy Roosevelt, you know, in their zombie forms if they were actually brought back from the dead. I have a feeling FDR and Teddy Roosevelt would not have had a positive opinion of the LGBT community considering the era they were prominent in. So, I mean, would that be a, a deal breaker for you? Like, that was also Doma because they were. That was. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> that is a little bit of a stretch because they, especially FDR, was president nearly 100 years ago. There was not an entire civil rights movement, there was not an entire LGBT civil rights movement. But at the time of Doma, at the time of Doma, though, there was still a plurality of support for bigoted pieces of legislation like that, even among Democrats. Yeah, I mean, there was. So so Biden is, you know, I think, you know, yes, it's wrong that Biden supported that, but the point is he no longer supports it. And I don't believe there's any reason to believe he's not being authentic, considering that most Americans... Which I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he's he's being inauthentic about it. I'm just saying, like, a lot of this, especially okay. like past past votes and stuff, play into his judgment ability. Like judgment if he has best right. judgment, um, I mean, like I keep going back to Sanders, and he's not the arbiter of progressivism. 
And I'm not going to call him. I disagree with him on some things too. Disagree with him on a lot less than I do with Biden. But like back in 1996, if you had the foresight to vote against DOMA or something like he did, and this man is like, what, two years older than Biden? Why couldn't he make the same judgment call? But at the same time, I'm, I think we would both agree that if Trump was had any type of political power back then, he also would have supported DOMA. Correct. So I, we're, I not t- we're not talking about Trump. <laughs> I don't see that as a reason not to vote for Biden when Trump would have supported the exact same thing. So I don't think you should evaluate. I don't think you should criticize Biden in, ter- in terms of I'm all for criticizing Biden. Let me rephrase that. I don't think you should hold. I don't think you should hold positions against Biden if those positions also apply to Trump, I think you should evaluate the candidates on how do they, how are they different from one another? Yes. And by the way, and and by the way, sticking on the issue of civil rights, I guarantee (laughs) you, I guarantee you within the first hundred days of a Biden presidency, the ban on transgenders in the military would be revealed. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been for anybody who was a Democrat if they were elected president. Like that's just so, that's so, a, so. Why not help those transgender people out and vote for Biden? Well, one, I live in Tennessee. That's probably going to go sixty thirty for Trump. So I think that's an you were in a purple state. I was. No, if you were in a. Purple oh, if state. I was, I probably still wouldn't. Give me a second. <laughs> okay, sorry that sun was really bright. Um. <laughs> So I also got bright in the past few minutes. <laughs> yeah, sign cast through here. Um, that's a that's a thing that I have an issue with too. Is when you are critical of Biden or Democrats in general, people go to Trump. Well, but Trump, but Trump, but like we're not talking about Trump. We're talking about Biden. And if I want to say that that makes me question his judgment, then yeah, obviously I'm not going. Voting for Trump is not even on the playbook for me at all. But, but, but don't you agree? <laughs> wouldn't you agree? Um, well, well, I'll say that for the end. That's more of a kind of closing statement thing. But, uh, okay, moving on from Doma, what, what else about Biden's record, Bob or Z? Um, I mean, like – I'd be also- surprised if you have a criticism that I haven't thought of. Because I, 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 I follow progressive media despite my criticisms of them. I mean, it could also be tied into the crime bill, but his relationship that he had, possibly still has, with former segregationists, um, racists, you know, like friends with Strom Thurmond. Again, passing out on judgment. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but Biden has had a consistent record of opposing segregation, but he would work with segregationists on unrelated pieces of legislation. Is that where the criticism came from? Like he never actually supported pro-segregation legislation. He just worked with segregationists on common ground that did not involve segregation. Yeah, but like also basically calling them like good people when they were blatantly racist, blatantly like segregationists, like is another judgment call just don't do that. I mean, maybe you did back in, what, 70s, 80s? But this is nowadays, and that's how I think. Um, I you just, referred to them as good people in 
in recent years, right? Like in recent years, he referred to vote segregationists as good people. Is that yeah. where the – oh, okay. I mean, like Strom Thurmond died, what, like less than 10 years ago, I think? Yeah. Like he eulogized He's a fossil at this point. Yeah, like I, I get that, like, sure, you got to be nice to people at your funeral, at a funeral, but, you know, if I was – if I worked with a segregationist <laughs> – and they died, and then they invited me to the funeral, I would probably have to kindly reject that offer. I might go to the funeral, but I would not eulogize them and, like, build them up to be this great person when they have a history like that. But and just also, because – I mean, don't you think it's trivial – sorry to cut you off there, but don't you, don't you think it's trivial, though, to hold that against Biden considering he hasn't – he wasn't supporting their agenda? Yeah, I mean, it, it is odd. It is kind of odd that in – this day and age he would refer to them as good people um but what does that have to do with how he would govern you know like he he's not supporting segregation he just you know that we know of he also also has comments of racial he doesn't want his kids growing up in racial jungles like when was this uh, around that same time when he was in congress you want me to find a direct date for that Oh, please, could you find a quote? That's what I love about these discussions. I feel like we can both learn something new, you know what I mean? But my issue is, is just judgment calls. Like, Trump's judgment is terrible. Like, anybody, anybody can be better than that, but, like, that's a very low bar. (laughs) I just, like, if you think that it's okay to be talking nicely about segregationists when they should be just reserved for the annals of history and completely forgotten that I have a little bit of an issue with that. So in a 1977 Senate judiciary hearing, Biden talked about busing and how, unless we do something about this, my children are going to grow up in a jungle, that jungle being a racial jungle with tensions having built so high that it is going to explode at some point. Okay, I think what Biden was referring to is the fact that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't a lot wasn't busing one of the more controversial issues with the civil rights movement. Meaning, a lot of a lot of prominent civil rights activists believe that forced busing went more like forced busing before. Sorry, you broke. I might, up. I might be wrong, but I think that's the case. I missed that part. You broke up on that one. Oh, oh my bad. Um, c- could you describe the policy of forced busing in detail? Like, it, like my understanding is basically they, against the parents' consent, they would take children, minority children, and put them on buses in order to integrate the cultures of the bus. Is that what what the policy was? I, I think that's correct. I'm not. Um, sorry. Where an ad popped up. I'm not an expert on busing, and I'm not gonna like say that I am. But again, even having like quotes or thoughts like that is again a judgment call on my issue. And as you said, like yeah, this is probably very trivial, but you know, politics is a lot of trivial stuff. <laughs> yeah, but with bu- uh, in terms of busing, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh. I wish I had a computer around for me. That way I can just Google this in two seconds. But um, weren't a lot of civil rights, prominent civil rights activists against forced busing? Wasn't that one of the issues that kind of kind of fractured the civil rights movement, that kind of divided them? One of the major 
ideological splits? I am not sure. I'm not going to well, sit here and pretend that I am. You can ask Kamala Harris about that. Okay. <laughs> well, well assu assuming that was the case, assuming can we just assume for a second that is the case, that uh -huh. many, that it was very divisive among civil rights activists. Wouldn't that might make Biden's statement okay? The racial jungle statement that would make that okay? Well, no, I, no, I think what he was saying with the racial jungle statement was the forced busing would cause so much racial division from both sides. Like, because many African Americans, assuming my assumptions correct, many African Americans would would hate forced busing just as much as many whites would hate forced busing. So I think he was emphasizing the fact that it would just simply increase racial tensions within both camps when he said racial jungle. I don't think he was saying it as if, oh, I just don't want to be around. I don't want my kids to grow up around black people. I don't think that's what he was trying to say. I think what he was trying to say, the political backlash from both camps would have made the country way more divisive than it needed to be. Because mm -hmm. it was I mean, it was an unpopular policy in both camps. That is easily possible. <laughs> easily possible. Again, um, Choice of words is probably key to that. Yeah, Biden's not very good with choice of words, I'll agree with that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that, you know, that might also be a judgment call, like think before you speak. And I mean, we already have an issue with some person in the White House that already does that and does not seem to think before he speaks. Uh, judgment, like I, that's an issue that I have. I don't think he's had good judgment calls on votes. I don't think he's had good judgment calls on quotes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, um, here's what here here's what I'm really starting to um, think about uh, the debate as to whether or not progressives should support Biden or vote mm -hmm. for Biden. I feel like many, not all, but I feel like most of the areas that progressives hold against Biden, and we briefly discussed this earlier. I feel like most of, if not all, the criticisms also apply to Trump. And I know, I, I get that, yeah, this isn't about Trump, this is Biden. But at the same time, that does matter. Like, yes, nothing is going to get better, like, you know, the DOMA criticism. That would apply to both Biden and Trump. There's nothing we can do about that. However, we can do something about health care. Biden is a thousand times better than Trump on health care. If Biden's, if the, if a Democratic majority supported Biden's plan, that would lead to millions more Americans achieving health coverage. A millions more achieving health coverage is much better than zero achieving health coverage. So looking at it from just a harm reduction standpoint, I mean, so many, if Biden's plan was actually implement, plans were actually implemented, so many more people would be better off. It wouldn't be a, we wouldn't be a social democratic utopia like the Scandinavian countries. Um, although I do think we would come significantly closer than we currently are. But I just, I view it as making life better. What, what would make life better for the average person? And <clears throat> to me, it's clear that Biden being president along with a democratic majority would also would achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not. It may not be perfect. There are disagreements I have with Biden, as well as disagreements I have with Bernie. But I, I, I really think it's. I really think all of the arguments against progressives voting for Biden are 
nitpicks, to be honest. Well, it's politics. Like, <clears throat> considering what's I mean, at stake, considering what would happen if Biden actually does get elected with a Democratic majority, considering how, much, how many more lives would be significantly better off if his well, platform is implemented. We can also look at, like, what, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, there was a Democratic majority. And, you know, Obama could have done a lot, a lot more than he did, but he didn't. I, I, don't, I don't know if he could have done a lot more. Passed a fairly conservative health care plan that was written by the Heritage Foundation based off of Ms. Romney's plan. Like, you, could, yeah, you, you my, definitely could have done better than that. <laughs> yeah, but giving the political reality reality at the time, I would, I would say Obamacare was reached a ceiling. You know, Obamacare did as good as we possibly could have done at that time. And, and I have problems with Obamacare. I do believe it was a half-baked proposal. As you said, it, it originally came from the Heritage Foundation, uh, Foundation. Obamacare, the individual mandate, was originally a right-wing proposal before the Republican Party went insane before they got drunk on Reaganomics. Um, but again, so many more people, despite the flaws of Obamacare, so many more lives were made better. Um, um, tens of millions of people achieved health insurance who would currently be uninsured without Obamacare. So I don't, I, I think just completely dismissing it as, oh, there's no point. We we had a democratic majority in the past and we didn't get anything. We got a lot out of it considering how, how high the ceiling was at the time. And now the ceiling is even higher and we can do a lot better than Obamacare. May not be universal coverage, but it will be closer than we've ever been. I mean, I'm not dismissing like any of that. I'm just saying like my viewpoint is if you come in and you have both houses, and what should what should Obama have done? What if if you don't mind me asking, what should he have done? What would you have done if you were President Obama? Pro given the, given the fact that the moderate Dems were extremely hostile towards his more leftward proposals. <laughs> so you and I both know, and I'm sure everybody else or anybody else listening know that politics especially in this country are it's a lot of negotiation like you you work left or right whatever my thing is if you deliver two houses of congress like this is one thing why i liked bernie one thing why i wish that he was the nominee because i have the philosophy of starting high aim high shoot through the stars and you hit the moon yeah is that right? why yes why like <laughs> Why start in the middle when we all know Republicans are just going to pull every single thing proposed by a Democrat to the right? Like, but let's say, let's say Obama, let's say Obama, okay, in 2009, went in there, kicked down that door, said, everyone, we are going for Medicare for all, like it or not. So many moderate Democrats or, or self-proclaimed blue dog Democrats would have flat out refused. So you would have had a you wouldn't build a coalition. The party would have been more divided than it currently is. And most blue dog Democrats would have probably been successful because in terms of getting reelected, because many, many would say, and I don't know if you're on this boat, but Kyle Kalinske from Secular Talk, 
dog. He brings this up all the time, and I strongly disagree with it. He says that this is how you would deal with the blue dog Democrats. Simply bring them into your office and say, hey, I'm going – the DNC, we are going to primary – we are going to primary. We're going to support a Bernie Sanders-style candidate in your district. The reason they are a blue dog Democrat is because it is a far-right district. Do you really think a progressive primary challenger would have any success in a far-right district? And I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm putting words in your mouth. I don't know if you're a believer in that argument, but it kind of sounded like you were alluding to that. I mean, I, how- I think that, like, yeah, the president has the bully pulpit, and that is one way to achieve those goals. And that's, I think, what you're basically saying. Like, not not just necessarily like, oh, we're going to primary you, but, you know, Trump Trump's done this several times, has, like, gone into different races and yeah he supported somebody primarying but like he can easily pushes people by like hey we're gonna come to your state hold a rally like he can you can sway people that way like that is the purpose of the bully pulpit and i feel like that is a good way to get those people done like if you don't do this we were elected on this platform i was elected as president overwhelming majority delivered both houses the people obviously want this platform, and if you don't deliver it, then you can count yourself out in the next two years or how, whatever it is in the Senate, like six. On what issues have Trump – okay, let's take an issue that the, that, Trump, that the Republicans strongly disagree with Trump on. What mm-hmm. issues has he successfully used the bully pulpit on that, that, he, that, his, that the establishment of his party strongly disagrees with? I mean, he hasn't really even used it on, and that was probably a bad thing, a bad comparison to even make. He probably <laughs> hasn't even used it on any issues, but like, just look at Alabama, for example, and Doug Jones, former senator, then, uh, what was he, attorney general, and then went back to run for a seat. Easily, you know, probably should have won that primary, but Trump comes in there, uses that his position, and pushes the voters out to support what the former coach. Yeah, but at the same time, that it at the same time, okay, the Democratic version of that would be, you know, AOC in the Bronx, assu- assuming that a Democratic president supported AOC. You can get away with that in a blue district, and what Trump did in Alabama, you can get away with that in a red district. But the types of Democrats who would have op- opposed single payer in 2009, they would, they, it's guaranteed they definitely would have been in districts that would, not, that would not ever support a progressive primary challenger. Do, do I mean, possibly. I mean? Possibly. Like, if you pull Very out unlikely. people. No, like, possibly, like, uh, it, yes, could be unlikely, but if you give people something to vote for, or and you like pull them out like the current district that i'm working on a candidate with we have like a, we have mtsu in this district a lot of those students would probably vote for somebody who is a progressive and she is a progressive my candidate that's running there like they'll come out and vote for her over our opponent who is a moderate and if you give them that option then yeah and like I think a good another sort of example is Sanders 
before he ran again for president was literally just going around the country pushing for $15 minimum wage, applied so much pressure to Amazon and I think Starbucks and Walmart that they raised. Hey, I don't, Hey, I don't disagree with um, uh, going back to the idea of the bully pulpit. I don't necessarily disagree with, you know, Bernie Sanders going around promoting particular issues to move the Overton window. I don't disagree Mm -hmm. with that because Bernie, Bernie comes from a district or, or I guess now comes from, since he's a Senator comes from a state that is very receptive to his vision. I mean, so the fact that he keeps getting reelected vindicates that they love Bernie Sanders policies, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, Bernie Sanders is not going to go to a purple district in Virginia, for example, and successfully prop up a progressive primary challenger. But, but, I look, mean, at, look at Kentucky. I, I have yet to see an example. I mean, are, look, are you talking about Booker? Yeah, come within points of winning that primary. I mean, but the thing, the thing is with what you're promoting, though, the, the strongest argument you have is we've almost – you know what I mean? Like Booker, this in this one election, almost defeated the establishment candidate. Yeah, but that, that the majority of him. the time, <laughs> the purple area. Yeah, but the majority of the time, the 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 um the establishment candidate wins in purple districts. Like it's an outlier whenever a progressive just comes close. Not to mention it actually happening, which I still cannot think of any examples of. And if you look at what happened in Kentucky, there is a probably a good reason why that doesn't happen because you have the Democratic establishment lining up behind them, just like they did with, uh, what is her name? I forgot her name. Amy? Oh, Amy. oh Grimes. No. Grimes. Is that her name? Allison Lumberman Grimes. No, no, the, the one that ran for Senate that won. McGarth. <laughs> McGrath. McGrath. Yeah, Amy, Amy McGrath, McGrath. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. had the entire, like, national Democratic establishment behind her, and they were funneling money just hardcore into her campaign. Whereas you look in Kentucky, the entire, like, Kentucky establishment was lining up behind Booker. And Booker had, he raised less than a million dollars. She raised over 40 million, I think. And he came close. Like, are, are you saying the Kentuckian? Democratic establishment was supporting Booker. Well, like all the like the House, the majority of the House members in Kentucky like supported him. Big newspapers endorsed him. Like I'm pretty sure uh, whoever you just said, Lund, Lund, no, what was it? That was 2014. Yeah, 2014. Well, I think her family is a big political family in Kentucky, and they came out and supported him too. But when you have, like, all that massive power of, like, the Democratic establishment pushing the narrative for one person. My like, question that, is. Like, my you can't, question you can't is, write that off. <laughs> like, does the Democratic establishment support the, okay, okay, are these candidates electable because the establishment supports them? Or does the establishment support them because they're electable? So I think it's kind of a chicken or the egg kind of situation. Because I mean, when you look, could when, be. when you look at the view, when you look at the opinion polls from these areas, I really think I really think the establishment candidates would have the edge based on policy. Because again, like 
going back to my pre what my example at the beginning of this um you know more more americans a public option plus a medicaid expansion has broader support when compared to medicare for all because medicare for all or a public option would win over people who support Medicare for all because it's better than nothing, while at the same time winning over people who believe Medicare for all is too far left. So I think in terms of building a broader coalition, a broader tent, the establishment candidates do have the edge in electability, which is why I believe the Democratic establishment is so worried about progressive primary challengers. Now in the Bronx, you know, places like the Bronx with AOC, that's a completely different story. She is very electable in the Bronx because the Bronx is a very far left place. So I don't think they have any problem with her holding that seat. But what they do have a problem is with people, the less, elect, the less electable options, you know, winning the primary. So I don't, I don't, I don't think, I really think that the Democratic establishment, they're just looking at the polling data. Okay, our people are more moderate on the issues, so we're going to support more moderate candidates because we want to win. I mean, possibly, but you can't say that, like, the younger voters are moderate. Like, the, I mean, younger voters, but they're one of the most unreliable demographics. Because uh, they don't have a reason to vote. Like... You, the party keeps giving these people these moderate centrists and they don't come out and vote. That's the thing. Like, look at the future. What is the future of the party? It is not these old boomers who are blue dog Southern Democrats. Like, that's, oh, yeah, we're, de that's we're definitely going to move left. We're, oh, yeah, we got a very leftward future, which is why I'm very optimistic. But when you keep putting these people up, like Amy McGrath, who aren't super old, but are super, like, moderate, but into, the super old into party power people. positions, like. But when you look at voter turnout; these super old people still steamroll young. They, they do, but like what I'm saying is, if you keep putting these people like Amy McGrath into like positions of power in the party, they're not going to let younger people, more progressive people, like work how they need to work. And also, you can't discount like media influence too, like. Democratic establishment and media, like, kind of align behind the same candidate. Oh, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's something like, interesting I've been thinking about. And, and, I, and I'm, this argument I'm about to make, I'm stealing it from a YouTuber, Steve Ma Stephen Michael Davison, that's his name. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he made this argument, I thought it was a brilliant argument, so I'm not even pretending that this is my argument. But basically, he said that talking about the electability of progressive candidates, he claims every time a progressive candidate loses, the progressive movement dismisses it on the media. My question is, if a candidate is so, if a campaign is so fragile that negative media coverage can sink it, doesn't that contradict the proposal that progressives are electable? If the media has it out for them so much? What I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying the media and the establishment help boost their candidate, like McGrath, for example. She had ungodly name recognition because they all lined up to support her versus, like, Booker. I agree, but I don't think, I don't think, I feel like you're framing it as if the people are actually progressive. It's the establishment that's coming in and eclipsing the will of the people. 
I see it the other way around. I see the establishment, they are politically savvy enough to realize that moderates on average have a greater likelihood of getting elected. That is why we're propping them up. Because we don't, we don't want the less electable candidate to get propped up. You know what I mean? I mean? Hillary, Hillary Clinton was apparently the most electable candidate. And we're, she, I mean, she, she's, she's a special case. She is uniquely unlike, disliked, unfortunately. But uh, not, not, not to mention a lot, not to mention Benghazi emails, Benghazi emails, nonstop coverage from the media. Because um, the media actually kind of had it out for Hillary. You don't think they're going to do that for Biden? No, no, not nowhere near to the same extent. Biden doesn't have any. Biden is nowhere near as disliked as Hillary Clinton. He is much more well liked than her. Right, but that can still be pulled down. I mean, it could, but at the same time, they could, you know, the right wing propaganda machine. Once it's unleashed on Bernie Sanders as a candidate, once it would have been unleashed on him, I mean, who knows what would have happened then? Because there's a I like Bernie, but there is a lot of creative narratives to right wing could craft with a guy like that. Yeah, just like they're saying now that Biden is a socialist and that he is nothing but a Trojan horse for AOC and Ilhan Omar and Bernie Sanders. Like, but Biden doesn't Biden doesn't openly embrace the label though. No, That's but difference. but that was a key thing that the Democratic establishment and the media tried to say against Sanders. Like, oh, they're, the Republicans are going to label him as a socialist, and that's going to be uh, Achilles' heel for him. When literally the argument that everybody on the Sanders campaign would like, they're going to label anybody who's running as a Democrat a socialist. And case in point, they're doing that to Biden. Who, Lord, I wish he was a Trojan horse. Yeah, but yeah, but with Biden. <laughs> Biden has the privilege of saying, no, I'm not a socialist. Bernie cannot do that because there's constant footage of him saying, yes, I am a socialist. So that's the big difference. Like Biden can actually cancel out that argument while Bernie can't. Bernie can j just has to take the hit, which would damage his campaign uh, if he was the nominee, I would believe. I mean, I don't think that's a damaging thing. Like, own it. Like, people, I don't think, really care about it that much. Labels the that label? much. Yeah, I, I don't. I think a lot of elderly voters, unfortunately, unfortunately, elderly people have an irrational fear of anything labeled as socialist. Goes back to their, you know, red scare propaganda. Well, but, then you can turn it around on them. Then, do you want Trump? Here's your options. <laughs> like, you know, it works both ways. Like, you're you're asking me this because I'm young and I don't I'm not appealed by Biden, but like. I could ask them that if it was the other way around. If Sanders was the nominee, are you going to vote for Sanders? No, like he, this and that. It's like, well, Trump. <laughs> but, what, but when compared to Bernie, and I feel like we're kind of going back to the first topic, which is fine. You know, I'm all for free, free flowing conversations. Um, I feel like though with Biden, it's, you know, Biden does much better with the support of elderly people than Bernie. If we're going to make it about, you know, elderly voters. The elderly people are not too fond of Bernie Sanders. And elderly people, coincidentally, are also much more reliable in terms of turnout. So that is where, you know, that is where the gold mine of votes is. So why not pick candidates who can actually access that gold mine? I'm not saying you can't do anything to appeal to young people. <laughs> For example, Biden, you know, on student debt relief, Biden is a proponent of, you know, actually allowing people with student debt to apply for bankruptcy. Yeah, now. So now, I think, he's 
No, yep. he voted. That was a point that I was going to make. He, the bankruptcy bill, the bankruptcy bill that didn't like worked against people with medical debt, credit card debt, and student loan debt, made it harder to wipe those in bankruptcy. Like now he's for it. That's great. Again, there's a judgment. Are people allowed to change their minds, though? Sure, but that doesn't mean that we can't hold your past and your public record against you. Like, your actions have yeah. consequences. Yeah. And in politics... <laughs> but, and the actions of Trump are going to have significantly more consequences than any a- action Biden would make in a thousand years. Possibly. I mean, that's, hy- that's all hypothetical. We don't know. We, we don't know. <laughs> Biden's not president yet. Possibly won't be president. I'm still not convinced that he can even win. Uh, I, th- I, I hate to be cocky. I really don't like being cocky, but I really I think he's going to win. I'd be surprised if he didn't win at this point. I mean, I feel like his lead is so significant. His lead very well may deteriorate, but he's already so far ahead that that's a massive gap for MAGA people to close. You know, I mean, Clinton. Whether or not whether or not we get the whether or not we get the House in the whether or not we get the Senate is definitely a coin flip. I'm yeah. I think the nail biter is going to be with the Senate. But, like, Clinton, like, basically at this point was also, like, double digits ahead of Trump. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think, I think Biden's lead right now is well outside of the margin of error. And Hillary's lead, I believe, was almost constantly within the margin of error. You can look that up if you want. <laughs> I mean, like... And I'm going off of what I hear pundits say. I hear a lot, I'm hearing a lot of pundits saying that Biden is eclipsing Hillary's lead at this same time in 2016. I mean, yeah, I mean, he easily could be. Easily could be. Also, the primary didn't last as long as Hillary's did. Yeah. But, I mean, what is it, like March, April? Where are we in? July? Yes. Yeah, like going into August, I mean, she was close to double digits, so minus a few points. Still, that's considerable. Okay. Yes. Wait, how, how, I'm sorry, how much was she ahead at this point compared to Biden? Are you using uh, real clear politics? Yeah, about six points. Compared to Biden? How- oh, sorry. Um, like, compared to Trump. Granted, also, you know... <laughs> how, far was Biden, how far was Biden ahead of around this time? Oh, I'm not... I don't know. I'm not looking at that. Okay. Right, what I'm looking at around this point, she was about anywhere between six to eight points ahead of Trump. Granted, you know, he wasn't president. There also was not a pandemic. So, yeah, that, that also ties into, I think, like, Electability should not have even been an argument used against anybody because, like. I mean, to be fair, I don't think a pandemic's very expected for any election. (laughs) No, I know. But, like, just saying uh, we need an electable candidate. We need an electable candidate. Like, uh, Trump just has done such a terrible job even before the pandemic and then now has done a far worse job. Like his approval rating was just like sliding down. So I don't think electability was even an argument to use for somebody. That's why I said, I think that like anybody could have probably beat him. 
and I don't. I don't, I don't know. Think. I think before COVID, I think before COVID, whether to, regardless of who the nominee is, I think it would have been a coin flip. A coin flip that honestly kind of leaned towards Trump due to the low unemployment and the incumbency advantage. Yeah, I mean, easily. Again, all hypotheticals, but <laughs> yeah, like I, okay. it, it's just. That, I mean, that's what I like about politics because it could literally go either way and nobody really oh, yeah. knows. But, I mean, I mean, we all love to talk crap about the horse race, but at the same time, we all enjoy the horse race. You know what I mean? Like what yeah. I said while I go, like politics is very entertaining, which is why I'm kind of disappointed Bernie's not the nominee. Just the side mm-hmm. of me that – the side of me that enjoys entertainment of politics, you know, I just want to sit in a – the side of me that just wants to sit in a gladiatorial arena like, yeah, whop his head off. You know, yeah. <laughs> that selfish, we, entertainment-driven side. We also but, did not uh, get to my point that I was making, that he has a disdain for younger people. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we make that case. Yeah. Make that point. He just reminds me of every older person that just, like, stereotypical. Like, you need to work harder, do better. Like, if you just had a good job, you could be where I was back in the 70s. Like, stop complaining. Like, and also, so, like, so 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't have a beer with him, but what does that say about his policies? Because that's more of a personality trait you're criticizing. I mean, yeah, sort of. I've already <laughs> talked about his policies, though. Like, oh uh, yeah, but I, a, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a big fan of critiquing personality traits. Um, unfortunately, most voters vote based on personality, which is why yeah, you know the one the one thing that makes me question democracy is vote when I look at data on polling beha- or voter voting behavior, I'm like, really? You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm obviously as an American, a proponent of democracy, but at the same time, you know, again, looking at voting habits and voting behavior, if you ever want to be skeptical of skeptical of democracy, just look at that data. It will depress you. But, yeah. <laughs> but well, like, yeah, I get that that's a personality thing, but also it kind of, to me, says like you're not listening to young people and like i i don't want to have to you know drag you somewhere but like policies benefit young people sort of i mean like sort yeah, of he's he's come right. better he's come better than what he was saying he was running on in the primary on like climate change which it was originally like 2050 which is far <laughs> far past the time that it needed to be even tackled and now it's like, I think he put out a plan recently that says 2035. Like, yeah, that's better. But, you know, when people also criticized him on climate, he told people to listen to the scientists. <laughs> and most of the scientists are like, yeah, we need to start acting now. Like, he, it, he, and it might be because he's old. He doesn't seem to have the urgency. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, kicking, kick, I mean, I, I definitely think it should be addressed ASAP. Um, but 2050, 2050, even if it is adequately addressed by 2050, that would still be way better than not addressing it at all, which, which you know, I mean, yeah, not, but- Biden not getting elected could make the difference between actually addressing climate change whatsoever. Yeah, but there's a certain point. Make that difference. There's like a certain point around like 2030 where it's like irreversible. Like around that. So if we, didn't, so if we, so if we do not act after 2050, 30, 20, 30, you said? 20, 30, 35, around that. So if we don't act, so any action after that would be useless. 
would not mitigate anything. I mean, the damage is going to be done at that point. Like, I look at like, yeah, that. like sure we can like do better and like we can have a full like electric grid, whatever. But like, scientists say like around twenty thirty thirty five, like we really need to have switched back like before twenty thirty five. There you go. That's Biden's plan. <laughs> To start, to start at 2035, like, I, I'm, that, that is all reliant on if he, one, you know, has, has won both houses of Congress and pushes it through, like, in the first year that he's elected, which is... Okay, high. but, he, okay, okay, assuming, and, and, and I'll be charitable, I'll, I'll assume that you were correct about the deadline. Um, I'll, I'll need to look into that after this. Um, in fact, I would love to do a follow-up podcast on this where you know me and my co-hosts like look through it and um and, and if you if you want to have like a um if you want to like come back on and you know respond to what we make the points we make feel free because i don't want to <laughs> you know i don't, I don't want to just be like talking crap about your debate performance without giving you a chance to rebut what i'm saying but um i, I just felt i think that would be wrong but okay assuming you're right about the deadline and biden's current plan is inadequate Biden is still much more likely to support, to be persuaded to support a viable plan, to support the Bernie Sant or the, you know, the plan that actually gets the job done. And why should we with, have to persuade with, with, with Trump? With Trump, there is a negative a thousand chance that will ever happen. Because he doesn't even believe in climate change to begin with. So good luck persuading him on that front. But why should we have to persuade Biden? Like, like he said, listen to the scientists. I'm not, I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying it doesn't suck that you would have to persuade Biden. But again, you're much more likely to persuade him than Trump. Likely. I mean, possibly. possibly. Isn't that worth casting a vote on, considering how high the stakes of climate change are? I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm not going to speak for people, and I'm not going to tell them how to vote. Like, that's their own personal choice. Yeah, but yeah, but you have free speech. You can persuade people. You say, "Hey, I think you should vote this way." I mean, that's the entire point of free speech, honestly. Yeah, so they can vote how they want. For me, if he gets elected and we have to pull him somewhere, I don't think it's going to be worth it. And especially if he's starting low, like that, twenty thirty-five, already very close to that threshold. I don't think it's worth casting a vote over, considering that the decision could that persuading him could very well save us from. The blowback, well, the blowback of climate change. Just casting a vote. You don't think that's worth it? I don't do the harm reduction stuff. <laughs> I just, I, I, I don't. I just buy feel like it. that's pragmatism. I got. Well, I'm not a pragmatic person. Then I guess call me that. But I'm probably an extremist. But back to my point that I made, like. He's starting very low. He's starting low. He's still going to have to deal with Republicans who are going to pull it to the right and pull that further away. Set, set that milestone back. Like, starting at 35, 2035, uh, the Republicans are like, no, we're not going to vote for it unless it's 2040. Okay, they go to the negotiation table, then they change. 2045. 2045. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really in, I'm, I'm really interested to do some homework on this deadline, this uh, climate deadline. Um, whether or not any action after that deadline would be useless. Um, or I'm not, not saying useless. Um, I'm really interested. <laughs> to, uh, we'll see. It's still significantly better than it would if we did nothing at all after the deadline. 
Yeah, but I would actually rather take it completely seriously than a half measure. But that's not your choice. Your choice is a half measure or nothing at all. Your choice is starve or eat a food you don't like. Okay, these, that argument is a little ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, don't you? Don't I mean a half measure would be a lot. A half a half measure would be way better than nothing at all, though, by definition. So why not cast a vote for that half measure if voting really isn't that difficult? Because I'm not one gonna give something as valuable as my vote for president that I get to cast once every four years to somebody who is just half-assing it. <laughs> Excuse the language, but half-assing it. You're good. If you, if you don't mind, um, what are, are you planning on not voting or voting third party? Or? I'm probably going to end up voting third party again. Who, the who's, the green, who's the green? Green party. It's Howie time. Hawkins this time, but like I vote on platform. Howie Hawkins. Yeah. And their platform actually takes climate change seriously. But at the same time, they're not going to become president. So why, why, I, I know, I, know I, I used to be a big proponent of third party candidates back in the day. Um, I would say about four years ago. Um, so I, I really don't like saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Why waste your vote on someone who <laughs> can't win? Although to be fair, to, to be fair, you do live in Tennessee. So it, it's more rational than it would be if you were in a purple state. To be fair. Yeah, but I also think a wasted vote is voting, like, being, being co what is, yeah, coerced, I guess is the word, or guilted into voting for somebody that you fully don't believe, trust, like, or agree with their platform fully. But with a vote, with your vote, you have power to influence our society. So why not use that power to influence society in a way that has the greatest chance of making life better for the average person? Because voting Green Party is not going to make life better for anyone. It is pure symbolic protest. So why not use that vote for something that actually has a legit shot of making someone's life better, which would be to vote for Biden? I mean, I think pure symbolic protest or protest is not voting at all. <laughs> I think that is probably the worst option that you could choose instead of actually getting up and going to the poll and voting and exercising your constitutional right so i don't but voting think... for someone who's not going to win that also is symbolic but they can win is the thing they can green party and the libertarian party do have a path to 270 they don't win I mean, because I mean, of this is... <laughs> okay the thing is with biden getting biden elected and persuading him to adopt the Green New Deal, that is much more doable than getting a third-party candidate elected. I mean, maybe. Maybe. Biden seems incredibly stubborn and set in his way, so getting him to completely adopt a Green New Deal, I highly doubt will ever happen. And... But again, the Green New Deal is not the only way to address climate change, but what, what I think I should have, wor I could, I could have worded that better persuading Biden to actually have a climate plan that reaches the deadline that scientists recommend. I'm, I'm still not buying it. <laughs> if, if, that was the case, if that was the case, then he would have done that in the primary. Okay, well, we'll have to agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, shocker, I didn't persuade you through any of this.
Um, <laughs> Sorry. What I'm going to do is, what I'm going to do is, uh, you're good. Um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, 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 I get bored when I talk to people who I agree with too much, too often. So that's why I like to branch out of the echo chamber. Uh, to me, echo chambers are just dying of boredom. It's mm-hmm. like watching paint dry in a way. But I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna give a closing statement, and I'll let you have the last word. Um, and then I'll stop the recording, and we can chit chat and talk about a potential follow up. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I believe I believe progressives should vote for Biden. Because Biden is in favor of a carbon tax, increased subsidies for alternative energy, not to mention actually acknowledging climate change. He's in favor of a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented. He's in favor of raising the minimum wage. He is in favor of free community college, raising teacher pay, uh, uh, reducing the gap between high income and low income schools. He's in favor of a public option with a generous expansion of Medicaid, getting us to near universal coverage. He is in favor of not legalizing marijuana, but decriminalizing marijuana, as well as investing more in prison rehabilitation for drug use and mental illness. And what else? Oh yeah, and also he's in favor of a universal background check for guns, which is probably the best action we could take in terms of addressing gun violence itself. And also, to pay for this, most of it would be paid for by raising taxes on the wealthy, but reducing income inequality. And that is all I got. What say you? <laughs> so progressives can vote how they want. I'm not here to say don't vote for Biden. I'm not here to say vote for Biden. I'm here to offer my opinion on why I'm not voting for Biden. And I think it's a multitude of different things ranging from mental fitness. Uh, I believe there should be probably a presidential mental fitness test. And I think that every candidate that makes it to this point should do that. And definitely a harder one than whatever Trump was just talking about. Like I looked at that one, that one's ridiculous. When you go into a job or if you are even a boss, you look at a resume and I, you're not going to hire or get past a job interview if your resume is bad and your boss or whoever's interviewing you can call these references. And if they don't speak well about you, you're probably not going to get that job. And I think that same kind of concept should also apply to president or your vote, who you decide to give your vote to. If they, if you look at their record and you don't like it, I don't feel like you should be, you know, pressed into voting for somebody because of you know the other one or harm reduction um your a vote is sacred and i think that people you know should think about the power of their vote i don't believe there's anything such as a protest vote um i don't think there's anything such as a wasted vote um if this candidate that you don't feel comfortable for voting for for whatever reason be it any kind of issues personal relationship issues, past issues, then that is your own choice. But my thing for Biden is ranges is his entire resume, uh, his record, casts a lot of issues for judgment for me. Um, I don't believe that we should be pulling somebody anywhere. They should just already be there. Um, 
especially on issues like climate change. Like he famously says, listen to the scientists. He believes science. Well, the science says that we need to act fast and we need to take it sincere. He just doesn't seem to be doing that. And to top it off, he just seems like he's running a very lazy campaign and is actually just trying to coast into the office and not actually work for it. So I don't believe in rewarding somebody who's entitled. Same reason why I didn't really vote for Clinton, because she felt entitled to my vote and didn't actually work for it. And catering to Republicans is, <laughs> you know, probably about a 50-50 possibility of actually working. And a lot of the times, if it does work, it doesn't lead to anything good. So I don't believe in supporting somebody who is going to cape and cater to them and capitulate to them. As we said earlier, shoot high, land somewhere in the middle. But like you shoot low, you're going to land in the garbage. <laughs> and I think that like you, that has to be weighed. So progressives, please vote however you want. I'm not here to push you either way. <laughs> Okay, well, man, I have so much to say about that, but I'm a man of my word. I, I promise you the last word. Um, well, everyone, uh, thanks for watching, and yeah, may perhaps, hopefully, there will be a follow-up to this. See you guys later. Say bye, Patrick. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>